Thank you for listening to Christian Family Church Podcast. Here at CFC, our mission is to live and communicate the power of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to the world around us. From wherever you're listening, we hope you'll be encouraged by this week's message. I'm very excited. It's been a long time that I've known that I'm preaching this morning and so I've kind of been busting to get here, you know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm very excited to, to be sharing this morning. I've got, I've got some, some words that I'm very excited to share with everyone. If this is your first um, service here, welcome. This is my first message sharing as a married man. So that's a big deal. Yeah. Has, it, has my message changed because I'm married? I won't answer that. No, I'm not going to answer that. Um, no, it's good. Okay, so my, uh, I'm going to go straight for the title this morning. Uh, the title of my message this morning is Know Your Place. Sounds humbling, doesn't it? Yeah, that, is, that was not in the context of marriage that I, that I meant to share that. <clears throat> that was not what I meant to do. Um, no, no, it's going to be a little different to hopefully what you're expecting this morning, but... Know your place. Has anyone ever been told to know your place? Sherman, well done. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, it's, not a, it's not a great thing to be told to know your place. It's quite a humbling thing. It means you're probably stepping outside of your little hierarchy that you're in, whether it's your work or it's at school. If you're, tell, if you're talking over the top of the teacher, um, if you, you've told your boss that they can't run a business to save their life, <laughs> if, if um, as, an old, as an oldest brother... I don't like to be called buddy or champ. That's not, that's not okay in my books. And then the worst of all I think you could do to step outside of your place is to, is to tell your father how to drive. Has anyone ever, has anyone ever been told, I'm not a father, but, and, and this is not a baby announcement either, but um, <laughs> I got, I got uh, my mum and my in-laws breathing down my neck here waiting, what's going on? Um, but anyway... This, this, is, uh, this is what it's like to be told to know your place. It's a humbling thing. Um, and it's, it's important to know where we are, from, or where we are and where we stand. And, and what I'm going to be sharing this morning is where we stand and, and what our place is specifically in relation to God. Um, and so it's, it is crucial to know where we, where we are with God because that determines how we act in relation to God and, and, and also how, how we act to the world around us, whether it is in the workplace or the school or wherever it is. Um, I want to use an analogy like if you go to a theme park or a zoo, um, <clears throat> you go to, you'll find a map. In order to know where you are, there's the map. And it says on the map of the topographical map of the entire zoo, for example, and it says, you know, the little mark on there, it says you are here and you know where you are in relation to where the giraffes are and where the elephants are and all of that sort of stuff. If I misread or if that map is incorrect, I might go into the butterfly cage looking for some lions or some silverback gorillas and be extremely underwhelmed. And inversely, if I go into a gorilla cage looking for some butterflies, I might, there might be a, you know, a bit of a dangerous situation. Yeah, and that's how the whole Harambe thing went down. But anyway, that's too soon. I won't go into that. So my message this morning is know your place. 
Importantly, and most importantly, I think one thing, one of the groundbreaking and, and, and foundational things that we need to know as believers is, to, is whether or not we, we need to be certain that we are in fact saved. Um, a lot of us still go through, and I've been through this myself, questioning and, and in vain, completely in vain, questioning God, am I, am I really still loved by you? Am I still known by you? Do you still care for me? Um, and, and it's a waste of time at the end of the day. We need to know where we stand with God and know that when Jesus paid the price at the cross that that was enough and that's all that it takes. So we're going to go through a couple of little exercises, well maybe just hopefully one this morning, of what it takes, some of the things that are um, groundbreaking or foundational for us to know that we are in fact saved. So what, what, how are we saved? First of all, if you go through many parts in scripture John 3:16 it says for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that those who believe in him may not perish but have everlasting life and it says acts 16:31 believe in the lord jesus and you will be saved right so believing is the key believing is where we, that's that's our way of entering into the kingdom you can't work your way in you've got to you've got to just believe in the finished work of the cross that's what it takes there's other things that Jesus did that that require a little bit on our end and it's really it's really not much when you think about it it is just an accepting and mo- and and what I want to make clear here too is that it's a receiving when Jesus offers himself do you receive it or do you reject it and sometimes it is just that clear it's not that complex if the life that jesus offers up sounds appealing to you you either say yes or you say no the gospel's made simple for a reason and so um in john 1 12 it says yet to all who did receive him to those who believe in his name he gave the right to become children of god so there was those that received him um and then and then lastly another another aspect is to say it it's okay to declare that we are saved. In fact, it's a really, really good thing to declare it. So we're going to do a little activity. It's going to start with 1 Corinthians 12.3. It says, Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So why don't we start with that? I'm going to say, um, all I'm going to say is Jesus is Lord. You're going to repeat after me if you are somebody that considers yourself to be a believer and you knowing, and if, and if you haven't said that before, then welcome into the kingdom. Once you say this and you mean it, that, that is your mark into the kingdom and, and it's that confirmation in your heart that that is in fact what you believe and that is for you. So I'm going to say this, ready? You're going to repeat after me. Three, two, one. Jesus is Lord. Congratulations. How good's that? It's it's quite simple sometimes. Now I understand I've been through I've been through um, seasons and periods in my life where I know this, I've read it, um, and I might have declared it even, but I just I just still need more to get through it. I need to I need more to believe it and sometimes it takes some kind of crazy act of God for us to be confirmed it. But the scripture is enough for us to believe this. But we're gonna go through as well, uh, Romans 8. Um, Romans 8, where are we? 12 through 17. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal the screen for a bit if you guys can bring up that PowerPoint. Awesome. 
So from Romans 8, starting from 12, it says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to it, the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit, by the Spirit of God, are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's an awesome verse. But I want, to, I want to just point out a couple of particular spots within these verses, starting with number 14 that says there in the yellow. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So there's, there's the sign. Am I a son of God? Are you led by the Spirit? So the answer is, if you're a believer, yes. And the question is, well, what kind of led? Like, what do you mean by led? Um, if I'm led to marry the right person or go to the correct university or pick the right job, make the right decisions within my workplace, does that, does that qualify me? Is that the sign? Is that the kind of lead that we're talking about here? And the answer is no. If you look at the context, it's led by the Spirit. It says, led by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body. So that's, that's the key part there. In the context of what we're talking about, if you are led by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body, that is the sign, meaning that meaning that the Spirit has led you into war with your old ways. Not the Spirit has led you into choosing the right university. The Spirit has led you to be at war with your old self. If you are at war with the sins of, of the way you used to be, then that is a sign. That's the clear way of knowing. If your sin makes you feel gross, if you feel disgusting, you don't want this anymore, then that is a very clear, very clear sign that his spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are in fact a child of God, that you are being led away from where you were and that God is sanctifying you. It's not, it's not a, I'm working my way in, it's the spirit has put me on the right team in the first place. So I go from fighting, if I'm, if I'm a German fighting against the English, and I'm on one side of the trenches, and the, and the Spirit has led me to the other side of the trench to fight against the team that I was once on, which is my sin, then that is a sign. Now, what about all the good people that are fighting sin without, without God? They're not Christians. Well, were they led by the Spirit to be there? If the answer is yes, that the Holy Spirit has in fact brought them over, and that, 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 that the Spirit of Christ has actually done that, then that's their answer. Then yes, they're on the right team. But the question is whether or not we are led, whether it's by the Spirit that we got there, not by what we do. Is that clear? Does that make sense? So, so it is by all this that the, that the Holy Spirit bears witness with us that we can say we are sons and we can call God Abba Father. And then it says down the bottom there, provided we suffer with him. That's another little prerequisite in, in to, to say that it is hard. It is a suffering that we're going through to turn down sin. It's never fun. It's never like, oh, I, you know, I just really don't feel like sinning today. Like our, our body craves or our, our flesh wants to sin. And so in order to in order to turn that down, is it's a form of suffering. Does that make sense? Awesome. Thanks, guys. You can bring, you can bring the camera back. Um, so this is all great, 
great signs and different ways that we can know where we stand with God. And that's, that's just how important it is. Now, I've, I've had uh, seasons in and of myself where, yeah, I know these verses. I understand them. Um, but I still, for some reason, am just finding myself talking with God, just begging him for things that he's already given me. And I know there's a part of me that knows, yeah, like, I'm probably wasting my time even praying this kind of prayer. And there is that part in all of us that, that knows that there's more than just to, than just to go to God out of, at, constantly out of a place of, God, please, be, like begging him for, to, to, let you, to let you back in, you know? Like we find ourselves sometimes doing that. And I needed, I was, I was the person at the, in that time that needed somebody whether from up the stage or in my life, to say to me, you are wasting your time thinking those thoughts. And you are wasting your time. Not only that, but it's also extremely important to know that when you do lower yourself, um, when you voluntarily put yourself below where the place that God has put you, it's also an insult to the finished work of the cross as well. So... I needed somebody to tell me that, and I'm telling you that today, that if you're in that place, and if you're unsure, if, if, if I'm okay to pray, to, to talk to God today after what I did yesterday, all of this sort of stuff, you're okay. God has finished everything. I'm not suggesting that, that what you did yesterday or whatever happens in the past, what's, what's going on with you is, is okay, and that's a good thing. God leads us into repentance, but it's also through his kindness that he does it, and we'll forget that kindness if we don't read up on the word and we don't understand where we are with God. So this, this is our, one of our best ways to knowing our place. Does that make sense? It's good. Okay. So, um, the, on the other side of that topic then is how do we, because we know now it's not good to understep our place in Christ. We don't really want to lower ourselves unnecessarily from a place where God has put us, how do we, how do, we do the opposite of that? How, like who in their right minds uh, in their prayer time with God starts telling him how much better they are than him and he has to smack them down? Like it's not, it's not a common prayer. So, but, but at the same time, how is that done? How does anybody mess that up? And the answer is, it's quite simple, is you do that, you bring that kind of attitude to the people around you. It says in Matthew it says in Matthew 25, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but it says, what you did for the least of these, you did for me. Jesus is talking, um, I think, to the disciples when he's talking about this. Um, he says that if uh, you clothed the naked, you gave water to the thirsty, you fed the hungry, you visited those in prison, and, and because of all of this, you've done this um, to me, for me. And then... They ask, well, when did we see you? When did we see you in prison, hungry, sick, thirsty, all that sort of stuff? Jesus says, when you did this to the least of these, you did this to me. And then, so, Je so Jesus is making, he's using the least of these, the people around us, the disciples, um, to represent him um, in the way that we treat them. So if we think that, if we think that we're, Helping that we're being good to our God, that we're, um, if we're if that if we're being great, to, if we're doing good things for God and to God by helping others, what makes us think that treating others poorly doesn't mean that we're treating God poorly 
in the same respect. So this is how we overstep our place. This is how we overstep our place with God. Now I want to read also, let's go to the parable, Matthew, in Matthew 20, the, the parable of the landowner and the vineyard. So you can find that, guys. I'll start reading. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius. Denarius? I pronounced that right. Good. <laughs> he agreed to pay them a denarius uh, for the day and sent them into his vineyard. At about nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you go also and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again at about noon and about five and uh, five and three, sorry, at about three and did the same thing. And at about five in the afternoon, he went out and found others still standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning from the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired at about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when they came, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us by having borne the burden of the work of the heat and the heat of the day. But he answered them, but he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same and I uh, the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now that's a very, um, that's actually quite a frustrating parable. We, if, if we haven't, um, if you haven't read this one before, I know when I first read this parable, my understanding of it was that it was talking about, um, and it might be, but it, I thought it was talking about uh, salvation, or in other words, the, the time point within somebody was saved, I was saved earlier, I've been working for God the longest, this person came along and accepted Christ in their last breath. Um, and I'm supposed to be okay with that, is what the lessons learned. And I think that, I think there's certainly um, an aspect of this that we're supposed to take that. But what I actually think primarily this is talking about is it's, if you read most parables, Jesus um, often isn't speaking into our Western culture and understanding of what salvation even is sometimes. It's more actually just him. In a lot of his parables, he's just talking about himself. Like he's actually just drawing people to himself. And he's, if he's not doing that, he's doing what he's doing in this parable, which is enlightening us to the nature of the kingdom. Jesus' most preached message was the kingdom of heaven is like and went on there. That was the message that he preached the most, was what what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so in this kingdom, um, as we've learned, is that... And, and what's a kingdom, by the way? God, a kingdom is a king's domain. So God's the king under his reign, under the domain of God is where we all are. And so in the kingdom, where God is the head of, of the entire place, he chooses to bring blessing 
where it is not deserving. And this parable is structured in such a way that it is supposed to make you fired up and angry because it is not fair. If, if you are some, think about this, if you go to work and if you worked from nine till five and somebody was hired at 4.30 and they got paid the same amount as you, actually think about how you would react to that. And then also think about this, the landowner intentionally paid that person first so that you could see how much they got paid. That is, that is geared to just grind me up. That's what it's meant for. But what, what scripture is meant to do here and what this parable is meant to do, and I've heard it said, is that... God will offend your mind to reveal your heart. And so what we read here is that Jesus has structured this parable so that you will get fired up, so that you'll be frustrated by what's going on here. You're supposed to position yourself as the, first, the earliest worker. And, so, and I believe the Pharisees were probably his target here was that he was supposed to do this. They were supposed to believe the same. They were supposed to be that character. So essentially... What God is calling us to, or what, what I believe the, God's desire is in the kingdom and what the nature of the kingdom is, is that God as the Father should be allowed to bless one child without the other child be con, being concerned about how that affects them or not affects them. So I, I should be, God should be able to bless you without that blessing causing me to think about me. Make sense? It's not about us. Sometimes we will take, and this is a great sign of somebody that is um, using the wrong resources or the, the wrong source to, um, the wrong source as their, as their blessing or, or rather the, the, the map for them. They're, not, they're listening to the wrong map to tell them where they are. Is somebody that um, is comparing what you think is a blessing, um, to me, really isn't in a, according to what God says. If we lean on God to tell us that, hey, the blessing actually isn't the day's wage. The blessing is actually the work itself. Or the blessing might not be the work at all. It might actually just be, the blessing might just be the fact that somebody else got the day's wage. That's your blessing. Maybe the fact that you got to be part of that was the blessing the difference is, is that somebody who thinks constantly inwardly and thinks constantly about what uh, somebody else's success means for them is somebody that's not listening to God uh, about to tell them where they stand, where they're from, where you are on the map. That's the difference. If somebody's coming to you and, like, uh, this sounds like a ridiculous conversation, but if I go to somebody, hey, I bought a car. No way. What is it? What's well, a Toyota. Mine's a BMW. I just turned that conversation around. It was about you and now it's about me. And we don't say that to people. That's a ridiculous conversation. But our minds do that all the time. Sometimes we can turn, okay, you bought a house. I'm still years away from buying a house. And that, I just made that about me instead of celebrating you or, in, or celebrating the, what God's doing inside of you. So it sounds nuts. But that, this is how we step... This is, if, if, if I'm supposed to love the Christ in you, if I'm supposed to... If I'm supposed to treat you as though Jesus was before me when you stand before me, then I'm elevating myself above the place that God has put me. Does that make sense? So it sounds ridiculous that we might, we might, um, we might overstep our place with God because who does that? Who, who's arrogant enough to talk down to God? Well, the answer is you talk down to those around you or you think, uh, you think poorly or against somebody around you. 
And Jesus specifically uses the word least of these. So it's not necessarily somebody at your level within your hierarchy. He says the least of the, what you did to the least of these you did to me. He chooses the word least intentionally because the people that are below us the most are the ones that offer us the least back. Yeah, it's good. But God's favorite attribute, I believe, is humility. It's somebody that is able to actually um, listen to someone else's success and not be bogged down by how that affects them. Somebody that's not thinking um, about themselves on a constant, on constant basis. Has anyone heard the, um, the famous quote by, by C.S. Lewis? I think we've got it up here. It says, C.S. Lewis said, True humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I think that's a really, really important understanding into, as to what humility is. Because aren't, aren't our favourite people in the world the most humble? Like the people that you want to go talk to, the people that you want to share your success with, those sorts of people that don't turn your story into their story, or God forbid they turn your story into somebody's, somebody else's story that they know. Like that's the worst thing in the world. If I tell you some good news and you, oh, no way, I have another friend, and they begin to talk about their news and their friend about how that affects them, that's the worst. We don't, we don't want to bring... The, our success to that person, how much less are we going to want to bring our failures to that person? So if we have, if we have humility, it, it's the container that God is able to pour blessing into. It's, and the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the density, it's the, the texture, I'm not sure what the right word is, of, of the sculpture that, that we are, that God um, moulds us by. The softer, the more humble we are, the softer we are, the more we can change and God can do whatever he wants with us. Does that make sense? And so if I'm a hard rock, God can only move so much. And we think, well, God can do whatever he wants. Yes, but he's given you the ability. He's, he's given you his image to bear. And so you do, if, you, if you do want to be somebody that is, has a hard heart and somebody that wants to be as solid as a rock and can't be changed and can't be moved and be stubborn, because some of us, love, we love to talk about, I'm so stubborn. Like it's a pride thing, like we love to be stubborn. And I guess if it's truth we're talking about, then that is a good thing. But it's better to be somebody that is soft, that God can mould, to not close yourself off to certain things in life where I, that's just not part of my character or that's just not part of what I do. Somebody who's able to be sculpted and moulded is a far better thing. And so God, I felt a long time ago, God actually gave me a picture of, what, of, of, what, of how to gain Humility, because it's a bit of a gift in a sense to, be, to have humility. And, and I felt like God gave me a key to understanding what it, what it takes to at least grasp humility. And I don't, there should be a picture that, that I want to display up on the screen. It's got, got the, um, the crown and it's got the fire. There it is. Awesome. So I saw this picture that God gave me, I think, oh, like a number of years ago. But pretty much it's quite clear. It's very simple. If... If I look at the bottom of the picture, it's, it's the fire, it's where, it's, it's, under, it's where I belong, it's not where I belong, it's where I deserve to be. I deserve to be separated from God because of, because of my ways, because of my sin. I, I belong to be right down here, in what we call hell, um, and separated from God because of what I've done, and I chose to be away from God. And then the crown is where God has placed me. That's, where, that's what the finished work of the cross places me it's my that's my place it's where where that crown is it's so high above where I was and where I deserve to be 
Um, but the, the, the answer, the real question is humi- where humility is found. And I believe, and what God I felt showed me was, is that the, the greater our understanding of the margin between the two is where we find humility. So if I understand the distance between that, or the length of that line, I should say, the, the margin between where I am and where I deserve to be is where I find humility. It's believing that, hey, it's not this false humility where I put myself down the whole time. It's this understanding that I, I've been raised with Christ and I have been born again and I've been put up to a place I'm a co-heir with Christ, but this is where I belong. Or sorry, not belong, deserve to be. And that's where, that's where I've been pulled from. So humility comes from understanding the margin, not just, not just constantly, it's not just a reflection of what I deserve, it's, it's, it's a reflection of both where I deserve to be, but in light of, it's a reflection of where I am in light of where I could have been. Does that make sense? I know um, there was a verse, or not a verse, sorry, there was a, 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 a quote that I learned or heard about from, oh, has anyone heard of um, Ben Fitzgerald? I heard um, this was a, I'm not sure where he got this from, I don't think this is even him specifically, but this is a, uh, an evangelist preacher, his name's Ben Fitzgerald, he, he shared um, a quote that he heard from someone else, and this is a declaration that he goes through on a daily basis and starts his day with this every day. It says, I am a new creation, I believe in who I am in, Christ, in Jesus Christ. Father, I believe that my faith becomes effectual divinely energized by the acknowledgement of every good, good thing which is in me in Christ Jesus. Through my union with Christ, I am a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. I was buried with him in baptism, raised together with him by the power of the Holy Spirit so that I might habitually live and behave in newness newness of life my old self was nailed to the cross and and with him in order that my body which is the instrument of sin might be made ineffective and inactive for evil and that i might no longer be a slave of sin uh, just as death has just as death no longer has power over over jesus christ neither does sin have dominion over me through my union with him i consider myself dead to sin uh, my, and my relationship to it broken. I'm alive only to God, living in unbroken fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. Amen. Like, imagine declaring that over yourself every day. That's the right place to be in, I think. So um, I want to give us a quick picture as to what somebody... Like, there's a lot of great, um, humble characters in Scripture. One of my favourite and one of the more unspoken ones is, um, or at least in our denomination, if you want to call it that, um, is, is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, and so if we could go to, um, I forget where it is, it's in Luke, I think it's Luke chapter 1, the verse that starts at uh, 46, I'm pretty sure, or 47. So <clears throat> we're going to read uh, just Mary's words, this is what, this is Mary's song, this is, she sings this after, after realising that she's going to be the um, the mother of the Messiah. And I've just learnt recently too that this was an actually, it was an anticipated thing. It wasn't, um, it was actually, it was actually a role that um, was known was going to be played was someone was going to be, someone, some woman was going to be the, um, the, the mother of the Messiah and that's a big deal. And I just read actually this morning in Luke that there was one lady who was 
he randomly yelled out at Jesus halfway through his miracle or whatever it was he was doing, like just randomly yelled out, blessed is the one who, blessed is the one who nursed and gave birth to you. This was like, like Jesus is doing his miracles and this random lady starts going, blessed is your mum. And, and like, and Jesus turns it around totally. I can't remember what his response was. But the point I'm trying to make is, here is that it's actually an anticipated role was that somebody was going to carry this child. Someone was going to carry Jesus. And so um, Mary was told that she's that one. This is, this is the one. She's going to be the one to hold the Messiah. And that's a huge deal. So let's go from, um, uh, from 46. It says, my soul, this is Mary singing. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he promised his ancestors. So I love these verses because it gives us a little tiny glimpse as to the kind of person Mary was. Um, it says, so it says like he, he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant and um, what else? It goes... He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's got all, all of this essentially is an overflow out of Mary's realisation that what's happening and what's going on. And you might think, well, you know, like she's talking about her humble state and all that sort of stuff. It sounds a lot like she's actually just thinking about herself. Well, really, the reason she is singing from her position is because she's just realised that she's been recognised by God. And isn't that the best way to finally start thinking about yourself? If you ever need a reason to think inwardly, it's when you realize that God's thinking about you. That's the best place to be in. When Mary's realized, oh my goodness, he's, he's recognized my place. He understands I've been humble, that I'm not somebody who's been lifting myself up. There's not a single, you know, like wicked character in the Old Testament that hasn't that's, that hasn't tried to lift themselves up. She's been recognised by God as somebody that has, been, that has lowered herself, somebody who has tried to be in the right place and just in a humble state. And so Mary, we get a glimpse of that. And if we, if we don't understand that, you might, think, you might think that Mary was something special. She really wasn't. She was really just a young girl who just, just probably went throughout her life just knowing that she was just meant to serve. And that's, that's the kind of person that God recognised in her and he decided that he loves that so much that he's going to be, he's actually going to give her his child, which sounds nuts, but she, because she's just a young girl. And so it's the most incredible thing to understand. Um, and I'm, I'm going to finish up with a few more points. I'm going to welcome the band up, if that's okay, guys. I just want to finish with a few more points. Humility, even humility in and of itself, is not something that we earn. It's something that we grow in understanding because it's our place. It's knowing where we are and where we stand with God. And it helps us to treat others appropriately and then ultimately treat God appropriately because it's Christ in you that I'm called to love. And even when you're messing it up and you're being weird or gross or stupid, whatever it is that's wrong with you, 
I'm still called to love you in the middle of all of that. And so having humility um, is not... Having humility is still a gift from God that you need to ask for. It's not, it's not something that you can go and earn so that you can find your place in heaven. It's still something we've got to ask for. It's still something that we've, we've got to learn and grow in and understand in Scripture. And so my, my question is, is to, to anybody who doesn't have, doesn't have or know this God that I'm talking about, if you're somebody that, that needs, needs that map to tell you where you are, if you're somebody that's relying on the culture or relying on society to tell you that this is the blessing or this is, this is what's right for me, you need to know that God is the one who tells you that this is your blessing. This is, this is where I want you to go to. And you know, if you have somebody else telling you what's good for you, then, then you've got to understand that they'll, they'll, be, they'll move tomorrow, they'll give you a different answer. The next week, there'll be another different answer again against that. And so understanding that the map that, that determines where you are needs to be a map that doesn't move. If I have a map that says you are here and I move that map over there, I'm no longer here, I'm over there. So that map's got to stay still. And God is unchanging. He doesn't move. He was the same yesterday. He'll be the same tomorrow. And we need a God who is the same since the beginning of time to tell us where we fit and where our blessing is and where it comes from. Because if you have somebody telling you what's good for you and what's not good for you, they will change tomorrow. But God does not change and He's going to give you the answers for the rest of your life. He'll tell you where you belong and where your place is. So knowing your place is so much more than just finding what's right for you, finding yourself within a hierarchy at work or within a hierarchy at school or a hierarchy within home or wherever you fit around it is, or around your, your living throughout the week. God is the one that needs to tell us where our place is. God's, God's the one that needs to tell us where we belong and where is, where's stationary, where do I need to be? When I wake up each morning, do I meditate on what I was told by my friends yesterday or what my boss said to me yesterday or what I was told by my wife or my husband yesterday or am I going to wake up knowing and declaring my salvation and declaring my place with God? Which one would you choose? And which one you choose tomorrow is essentially what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to make a decision whose voice am I going to listen to tomorrow? So if you want to know where you are, if you want to know where you belong, go to God and don't go to other things. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing, we're going to sing a song. So Father, I just thank you so much, Lord, for your, the blessing of the cross and everything that came and the price that was paid, Lord. And I want to pray over right now, anybody who doesn't have this place, anybody who doesn't have uh, that map to tell us where we are, Father, I want to, I want to pray specifically into, into the, the hearts of the, that person right now, Lord, that you would shake their heart, Lord, and cause them to believe right now that they need you, that they actually need your cross they need your finished work to, to to do what they cannot lord and i just ask and speak over everybody that this speaks to right now that you would you would shake them this week that you would speak to them this week lord and and cause them to see you clearer and clearer and clearer each day from this day forward lord but i just thank you for i just thank you for your amazing humble state lord that you are somebody who is the highest and somebody that chose to be the lowest so we just thank you so much, Father, for knowing where we are. And I ask, Lord, that you would, you would bring that into all of us, that greater and better understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, band.